0: Hypocrisy. It's heartbreaking for us who are followers of Jesus to hear that one of the most often cited criticisms against Christians is that we are hypocrites. For the true believer of Jesus, uh, true believer and follower of Jesus, being called a hypocrite, it is a very painful thing, isn't it? I mean, we've not purposely set out to deceive People to pretend to be something that we're not, to not practice what we preach, to not live by the standards that we claim to follow. Our genuine heartfelt intention is to follow Jesus as best as we can. Being called a hypocrite, it stabs us right in the heart, doesn't it? I mean, we acknowledge that we are not perfect. We constantly fall short of the ideals we're aiming for. We are embarrassed and disappointed by our slow progress in becoming more like Jesus. We know there is far too wide of a gap between our intentions and our actions. Does all of that make us hypocrites, though? We pray not. Fortunately, even though the vast majority of people outside of the church think that those of us in the church are hypocrites... These same people respect Jesus. Lord, help us represent you better. Amen. Today in our Bible study through the Gospel of Matthew, we're entering into a long block of teachings by Jesus that spans three chapters, chapters 23, 24, and 25. And in this first big chunk, which is the content of chapter 23, Jesus talks about the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of his day. There's already been a series of confrontations between the religious leaders and Jesus since he entered Jerusalem at the beginning of chapter 21 on Palm Sunday. Now Matthew presents this extended teaching by Jesus, specifically addressing the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. And as we consider these criticisms that Jesus brings against the religious leaders of his day, let's have open hearts and ears to hear what the Lord may be saying to us about our own life as a Christian too. Let's begin in verse 1, Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. It's sad to see what these people have become, whose original intention was to be devoted followers of God in His ways. They believe the Scriptures, and they have made it their life ambition to follow the commandments of God, even to the smallest of details. But their devotion to God is not touching their hearts and changing their lives. It's all external. Jesus acknowledges that these people have been given authority to lead. It says they're sitting in Moses' seat, the position of authority that they occupy should be respected, and the teachings that they are giving may be sound. Unfortunately, they are not following those teachings themselves. It says they do not practice what they preach. Jesus says to not follow their example. Don't do what they do. Do not act like them. You know, it makes me think about the Apostle Paul, who was able to tell us to follow him as he follows Jesus. And what a contrast that is between Paul and these people that Jesus is talking about. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul wrote, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In Philippians 3.17, he wrote, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. May our lives too be examples for others to follow as we follow Jesus. Verse 4 here is a reference to the religious requirements that these religious leaders are laying on people to follow, which go far beyond the actual commandments of the Lord. These same people who are not following their own teachings, they're burying other people with rules and expectations that rob them of joy and fill their lives with bitterness. I want us to contrast that with what Jesus has said about himself over in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. You might remember he said, Come to me. pure, sinless human being who's ever been on this planet. He gives people a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. He offers people rest for their souls and he helps us carry the loads of our life. Verse 5, Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their flak trees wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. The things they do, which they think demonstrate devotion to God, are done to be seen by others, to be admired. It's all for show. Jesus, he addressed this same stuff earlier in the Sermon on the Mount over in Matthew chapter 6. And I want us to flip over there for a moment and read some of what he said there to remind us about this. In chapter 6, verse 1, he said, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words." Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him verse 16 He says when you fast do not look somber as the hypocrites do for they disfigure their face to show others their fasting Truly I tell you they have received their reward in full but when you fast put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting but only to your father who is unseen And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Jesus said, they make their flak trees wide and the tassels of their garments long. Some of you might not know what that is. Flak trees are small boxes containing tiny copies of certain scripture passages from the books of Exodus and Deuteronomy, which devout people will wear on their arm and their forehead. And here's a picture of a contemporary Jew in Israel with a flak tree on his forehead and one on his arm. I've pointed those out so you can see it. And then you'll see the long tassels on the bottom of his prayer shawl there that I pointed out. So even people today, in and Israel will wear these flak trees and these tassels. These tassels uh, are these long fringes, and they were used to remind them of the commandments of the Lord and to keep track of their prayers. Well, making these boxes and tassels wide and long is obviously intended to make them ostentatious, obvious, showy. They love sitting in the places of special honor and importance. They love being called by special titles of honor and status. Rabbi literally means great one, master, teacher. Verse 8. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers and sisters, and do not call anyone on earth Father, for you have one Father, and He is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructor, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The list of titles that Jesus mentions here, Rabbi, teacher, father, instructor, this is not a comprehensive list of titles, nor is this intended to be taken as a strict prohibition to never use these titles for anyone other than God the Father and Jesus the Messiah. We have examples in the Bible itself where these titles and similar ones like them are used to refer to people in these kinds of positions. Uh, the, The point Jesus seems to be making is that within the community of his followers, these kinds of titles should not be used to give special privilege to one person over others. We're all of equal value and status under the Lord himself. We are all brothers and sisters, Jesus says here, and the Lord is our father. We're not to seek out or to occupy these positions for prestige or privilege or notoriety. This kind of position should be something that we take up in great humility with a tremendous sense of responsibility, both to God and to the people that we're being that are being served by us. In verse 11, Jesus actually explains here the kind of attitude that we are to have when occupying positions of leadership. In verse 11, he says, The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We occupy positions of leadership to serve others, not to have them serve us. Jesus has talked about this before on more than one occasion. In Matthew 20, 20, verse 28, for example, in the story of the two disciples, you might remember, who wanted to occupy the seats of honor on Jesus' left and his right as he sat on his throne in his kingdom Jesus called them together in Matthew 20, 25, and he said this to his disciples. He says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." Jesus is our example of serving. He's the Lord of the universe. And he stepped down into our world to serve us, to rescue us, to give his life as a ransom, to purchase our freedom from sin and death. Well, beginning with verse 13 and continuing through to verse 36, Jesus gives a series of woes. Directed at the religious leaders. A woe is not a like woe. That's not what it means. A woe, as used in this context, it's an explanation or an exclamation of pain and displeasure. It's an expression of regret and sorrow over an awful situation and the consequences that are coming upon those responsible for it. So in verse 13, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to the religious leaders because they make it difficult for people to have a relationship with the Lord. They're supposed to be leading people into the kingdom of God. Instead, they're shutting the door in people's faces, keeping people out, making it difficult for people, misleading people, excluding people. Well, what is their motive for doing this? We're not exactly sure. Jesus says that they're not entering the kingdom themselves and are not letting others enter who are trying to. Are they so intent? about being the leaders and the teachers that they refuse to let anyone make any progress except under their direction and leadership? You know, are they control freaks? Are they making things so extremely exclusive and difficult that no one can ever qualify for entry? We should instead... Present the Lord as he truly is, as generous and kind, full of mercy, quick to forgive, desirous of a relationship with all of us. We should lead people to Jesus Christ as the way for each of us to know God personally and experience life change. The Lord loves us all so much that he gave the life of his one and only precious son, Jesus, so that we can have a relationship with him. As leaders, and this is whenever we're occupying any kind of a position of leadership, really, within uh, the church or with, with other brothers and sisters, we need to remember that we're not indispensable We should be seeking to work ourselves out of a job, so to speak. The, The leader or teacher in the church who is seeking to make people dependent upon them for spiritual growth and health is on the wrong path and that person should be avoided. The leader who's putting their self in the center of everything rather than putting Jesus in the center of everything is behaving like a cult leader. Avoid that person. We want to connect people to Jesus and have them be dependent on Him, not dependent on us. Fifteen. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Woe to the religious leaders because they are corrupting people. They will make a big effort to win someone to their side and their, to their way of thinking. And sadly, they make that person into a worse version of who they themselves already are. This brings up the importance of always making Jesus the ideal that we follow. Point people to Jesus. Follow Jesus. Learn Jesus, not some system about Jesus. Learn Jesus, not some system about Jesus. 16 Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. Anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven, swears by God's throne, and by the one who sits on it. So woe to the religious leaders for corrupting what is sacred. You might remember Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount to not make oaths at all. Because it misdirects where our devotion and obedience should be centered. We should simply do what we say we're going to do with a simple yes or no. See, whenever we add extras to the commandments of the Lord and the the devotional commitments that he wants us to observe, we corrupt them. We delude ourselves into thinking that we are making things better. We are improving things. We are showing ourselves to be more devoted, more committed, more worshipful. We're going the extra mile. If God has commanded me to not eat a cookie before dinner, then I will not eat cookies ever again at any time to show how committed I am to him. That's the logic of legalism. Rather than coming up with what we think is a more committed version of a commandment, to prove our devotion to the Lord, we should simply concentrate on doing what he says. That ought to be enough. See, when we add our own extras, eventually it becomes about us rather than the Lord. And this is what Jesus is describing here in this Passages that we have just read, it becomes a source of personal pride focused on how devoted we are rather than humble worship that's centered on the Lord. It's the same idea which was behind the Lord forbidding the Israelites in the wilderness from making any altars for worship which contained dressed stones or stones that they had carved or shaped in any way. He told them to make their altar out of plain old dirt and rocks. See, the moment that we add our own touches to the altar, it becomes corrupt because it becomes a display of our own ingenuity and talents rather than focused on the Lord. And the same thing happens when we add these extras to the commandments. When we add extras to the commandments and the devotional commitments that the Lord has given us, we also end up confusing the majors and the minors. Little things become excessively important, and what ought to be the most important is set aside and neglected. Jesus calls these religious leaders blind guides because they can't see what ought to be obvious anymore. They've corrupted and confused things. Because of the extras. Verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the most important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former, You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. This is an example of confusing the majors and the minors. They are very careful to give a tenth of even their spices to the temple. They practice their religious devotions with extreme exactitude in things like this. At the same time, they're neglecting the most important things like justice, Mercy and faithfulness, it's easy for us to do the same thing in our life. An example it's easier to drop a few bucks into the offering box at church than to lend a helping hand to a stranger at an inconvenient moment. The part of what Jesus says here that is often overlooked is this when he says, You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You see, it's not an either-or kind of thing that Jesus is teaching in this passage. We are not to practice justice, mercy, and faithfulness and then forget about following the other commandments and devotional commitments. It's a both-and, both-and kind of thing that Jesus is teaching. We are not to exchange one thing for another. Jesus wants us to do all of it. We're to give a tenth of our income as an expression of worship and help the stranger at the inconvenient moment and do whatever else the Lord might be challenging us to do in the interest of justice and mercy and love and faithfulness and follow the commandments about moral purity and so on. The follower of Jesus does all of it. We're not to cherry-pick parts of the Bible and ignore the other stuff that doesn't set well with us? 25. He says, What do you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites? You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside also will be clean. So similar to the last woe, this is another example, really, of confusing majors and minors, losing sight of what is most important. These people, they're very careful to clean the outside of their cup and dish, figuratively speaking, while leaving the inside untouched and unchallenged, full of greed and self-indulgence. Jesus tells us to deal with the greed and the self-indulgence In our life, repent of it, and the other things will follow. Instead of being greedy, be generous. Instead of being self indulgent, be sacrificial and put others first in our life. And when we put our focus on our character rather than external expressions of religious devotion, we find that those external expressions of religious devotion then become pure and beautiful. 27, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. This is another illustration of the same kind of thing that we just talked about in the previous woe. The illustration is much starker this time, though, isn't it? Rather than it being a cup and dish that are clean on the outside while being full of corruption on the inside, this time it's a whitewashed tomb, which looks nice on the outside. But inside, it's full of the bones of the dead. These people, they they put on the appearance of being righteous with their garments, with the long tassels and the phylactery boxes on their foreheads, on their arms, with their muttering of prayers in front of people and their grand displays of giving at the temple, with their frowning upon the behavior of others and avoiding bad people and so on. In truth... They're full of hypocrisy and wickedness, Jesus says, full of pride and judgmentalism. They're stingy and cold-hearted toward the needy, all about self-promotion and being admired by others. And then in 29, he says, "'Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, "'you hypocrites! "'You build tombs for the prophets "'and decorate the graves of the righteous.'" And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore I am sending you Prophets and sages and teachers, some of them you will kill and crucify, others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all this will come on this generation. This is the harshest. Criticism yet, isn't it? These people are so full of pride and self-delusion that they claim that they would never have done what their ancestors did, killing the prophets of God in their time. They, They would have humbly listened to the prophets of the Lord and repented of their sins if it had been them. Jesus tells these people that he knows that they are going to treat the prophets and the teachers who are coming the same way their ancestors treated the prophets in their day. They're going to flog them and kill them and crucify them. And that's exactly what happened. The first preachers of the gospel were flogged and jailed and killed. And the judgment that Jesus predicts here that would come, it did come when the Romans destroyed them in A.D. 70, some 70, some 40 years from this time that Jesus speaks these words. Then in verse 37, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even though this is very confrontational and harsh criticism that Jesus has for these religious leaders, he has this tremendous compassion for them too. We see that in these closing words of the chapter. All of these Things that have been spoken to them, they have been spoken with tears in his eyes rather than vengeful rage. His heart is broken over what they have become. Luke tells us in his gospel that Jesus literally wept over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, How I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you are not willing. His broken heart. Well, in closing this morning, I just offer up a prayer for us. Lord, help us. Learn from the mistakes and the failures of these people and choose a better path, living lives of humble integrity before you and other people. Amen and amen. Let's bow our heads. Lord, these are difficult words to hear. when we can feel the shots zipping right over our own boat. And we know that we have been guilty of some of these same things in our own day. And Lord, we pray that you would give us humble hearts that we would live humble lives of integrity before you and others. Lord, we love you, and we we thank you for your undying commitment to us. We depend upon you, Lord. Thank you.